If someone asked you how you would define success as a parent, what would you say? How do we know when we've been successful parents? Some of you are parents, your grandparents, some of you have grandchildren and your kids are raising their kids. What are the goals or the metrics that we use to define what makes a successful parent? How did you define in your life, or if you are a parent, how are you defining what makes you a success? See, it's easy in American culture to look at how the culture defines success. Uh, in our culture today, in our society today, we think that if a kid makes good grades, then the parent's been a success. Or if you make the A-team, or if you're popular, or if they have lots of friends, or if they join the right club, or the right organization, or uh, they, they get into the best colleges, then somehow we say, well, that, that means that we've been a success. And none of those things are bad, but is that really the ultimate goal for the Christian parent. Because you see, the American dream of success doesn't always line up with the biblical call. That doesn't always line up with the mandate. You see, what happens in that American dream is a lot of parents raise their kids projecting things that they wish they had done in school onto their kids. And they look at their kids and they think if they can achieve those things that I didn't get to achieve or I wanted to achieve and they succeed in it, then I am a success as a parent. And what that does is put so much pressure on the kids and so much pressure on the parents. And if we had to be honest, as a student minister for 20 years that worked with young people, junior high, high school, college students, counseled parents for the last 28 years, I would say that probably most parents are defining success in a preventive measure. You see, instead of defining success by what our kids do, we define success by what they don't do. See, parents get this idea or this mindset of, if I can just get my kids out of school without them drinking or doing drugs or having sex or having a run-in with the law, then I've been a success. But the problem with that is it's a lot like a preventive defense in football or in basketball. And if you are a fan of either of those sports, you know that a preventive defense does nothing more than prevent you from winning. Uh, what a prevent defense is, is when you get a big lead, all of a sudden you start playing preventively, uh, giving them a cushion, not you know, guarding their score, and you kind of back off. And what happens always, and as someone who grew up a frustrated Houston Oilers fan, I can tell you, uh, we lost more games from preventive defense uh, than anything else. Because what we would do is instead of uh, trying to keep playing our game, instead of having a game plan, we just tried to keep them from scoring. And if you're a parent or a grandparent with that goal in your mind, what happens is when that child does do something that you didn't want them to do, you're devastated. Because you see, in a prevent defense, all it takes is the offense scoring once and you lose. And I see parents that live with guilt, live with fault, because they built up all of these ideas of what it meant to be a success based on what kids didn't do instead of what kids did. And once that fell apart, the parents were eaten up. You see, being a successful parent is really not about what your kids don't do. And if we had to be honest, it's really not even about what your kids do, but it's about who your kids are and who they become. 
Because you see, our goal as Christian parents is, is not necessarily to keep them from doing something or to force them to do something. It's to help them discover who God called and created them to be, to help them become the person God is making them. Because if we can do that, if we can help them discover all that God has for them or all that God is going to do in their life, then they will become salt and light in a dark school, in a dark society. They will begin to impact their world for Jesus Christ. They will be a vessel of grace and mercy and peace and love and forgiveness and all that they do. And some of those other things will come. But those things shouldn't be our ultimate goal. See, our ultimate goal as parents is finding a way, developing a plan to help them understand who they are in Jesus Christ and that they are defined by that. See, unfortunately, so many kids today are defined by the clothes that they wear. That's their whole identity. They're identified or they're defined by the group that they hang out with or, or the boy or girl that they're dating. And, and their whole self-esteem, their whole self-worth is based and built into that. It's built into what they have, the car that they drive, the home that they have, the team that they make. But sadly, all of those things can be taken away. And if your identity and your self-esteem is all based on that, when those things disappear, the rest disappear. So our job as adults, our job as a church, our job as parents is to help them not identify themselves with that, but to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? Fortunately for us, our passage this morning is going to give us some insight. Give us some insight into what it means to be a successful parent. Give us some practical guidelines on how we can do that. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians 6. Uh, I think it's in your order of service. I think you can follow along uh, there at the bottom of your order of service. Now, you remember last week, if you weren't with us, we looked at verses 1 to 3. And we discovered that the greatest thing we need to teach our kids, that the greatest thing our kids need to embrace and that brings a healthy home is if children can learn to obey their parents and can learn to respect and honor their parents. If a child can learn to obey their parents and can learn to honor and respect their parents, it's a much bigger influence than just in a healthy home. It is a direct relation to how they will respond to God in their life. It is a direct relation of how they will interact with God. They learn to respect and honor their parents and obey their parents. They're much more open to learning to respect and honoring God in their relationship to Him. And this week, this morning, we're going to take verse 4 because verse 4, what it does is it takes those lessons and gives us some practical thoughts on how we can teach them that. Now, I remind you from last week that this is directly for those that are parents or grandparents. And everybody else says, well, I can just check out, you know, I don't have kids and I don't know if I want to have kids or my kids are grown up and I'm not even around my kids. It is for parents and grandparents or really anybody that is involved in the raising of children. But it's also for all of us as a church. Because if we learned anything as we studied what it means to be a church member is that as the church, as the community of faith, we all have a responsibility. That we all play a part in kids' lives. Whether you're teaching them in VBS or, or you sit beside them or you're working in the nursery or you interact with them in the hall or, or you see them coming and going, you have a responsibility to help influence these children especially to influence them in the way of the Lord. So this relates to all of us this morning. It's practical for all of us. And listen to what he says. Go back to verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the Message Bible says this. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. New Living Bible says this. And now a word to all parents. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction approved by the Lord. Now, it's easy for us to look at this passage, and it says fathers, and so fathers naturally take on that responsibility. But you need to understand in that culture that Paul was talking to, the fathers were the ultimate responsibility for discipline, for teaching, for training. But it doesn't just relate to fathers. It relates to all people in the family. So it's fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And so this is a call to all of us. And he says there, do not exasperate. Now, exasperate is not a term you and I probably use a whole lot. It's not a term that that comes out of your mouth on a weekly basis. A better translation is provoke. Do not provoke your children. But the actual interpretation from the Greek word there means do not lead them to rebellion. What he's saying is fathers, mothers, grandparents, do not do things to your children that will lead them to rebel, that will lead them to come back against you later in your life. He said instead, raise them up in the instruction and teaching. And that word instruction and teaching is the Greek word padea, which means educate them. So if you wanted to translate it a better way, you could say parents... Don't lead and and have your children fall into rebellion, but instead educate them in what? In the things of the Lord. You see, our call is to educate our kids. The responsibility that we have is to help teach our kids the way of Christ, the things of the Lord. The, The simple measure of what it means to be a successful parent is to teach them what God says about them and who they are in Christ and teach them to live that out. Now, as I said last week, parenting isn't easy. It takes a lot of work. There's no timeouts. There's no time off. And what happens in parenting is we try to be proactive. Uh, We try to have a plan. I hope you have a plan. I hope you have some ideas. I hope you and your spouse or you and your your husband or wife have sat down and talked about the things that you want to see happen in your children's lives and how you can achieve that. But even the best, most proactive parents fail at times. We all blow it. We all make mistakes. We all say things that we didn't mean to say. We all go down roads that we didn't intend to go down. And what we need to be careful of is instead of being proactive, we become reactive. We allow circumstances and situations to dictate to us how we're going to respond. And usually when that happens, we don't respond well. That's the default for us. Most of us go back to our default as parenting. And you can tell you're on the default when you begin to say things and do things that you said you'd never do. You know what I'm talking about? All those things that your parents said to you that you said, when I grow up, I am never going to say that to my kids. Right? You're going to look at your kid and ask them the dumbest question of all time that I used to think this is the stupidest question of all time. Do you want a spanking? And that's a crazy question. Who's, yes, please, Dad. I was waiting here in the room for you to come in and ask, and I, let's go ahead and do that, okay? No! And so you say, I'm not going to ask that stupid question. And then you're razzled and you're frazzled and you're, you're mad at your kids and you turn around and all of a sudden say, listen, do you want a spanking? And the moment you say it, you hear in the back of your head your parents' voice and think, did I just say that? Don't you cry or I'm going to give you something to cry for, right? Don't make me pull this car over. 
You see, all of those things, we say, I'm never going to say that. I'm never going to do that. And then in that moment, instead of being proactive, we become reactive. You see, i got good news for you, parents. There are no perfect parents. See, God doesn't call us to be perfect. God doesn't even call you to be a great parent or even a good parent. See, what God calls you to be is a godly parent. And in being a godly parent, you are called, you are given the responsibility, you are given the investment of that child to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord, to help them understand how Jesus Christ can and will change their lives. Now, how do you do that? I mean, that sounds simple, and it sounds like a great plan. It sounds like all of us can do that. But I, I want to give you some practical things. Really, three practical things help you remember that all of us can do to become proactive parents, that all of us can do to become uh, parents that seek to be godly parents instead of just uh, popular parents, instead of just the parents that everybody likes. I want to be the per- parent that God approves of. So what can we do? Well, the first thing that you can do is you can give your children unconditional love. Now, there's not a parent in here that would say, I don't give my children unconditional love. But you see, the issue is not whether or not you feel that in your heart. It's whether or not your kids feel that in their heart. It's whether or not your kids see that in your actions. See, this unconditional love is the word agape. It's sacrificial love. Same word used every time to describe how God loves us. It is a no matter what love. And that makes it a little harder. Do your kids know that you love them no matter what happens? That you don't love them based on what they do or, or how they perform or how they, you love them because of who they are. They are your children because that's the way God loves us. See, God's love for you is not conditional on anything that you do or say or worth that you bring to the table. God loves you simply because you're his child. And by loving our kids that way, we are teaching them a bigger lesson. We're called to give them unconditional love and not just give it to them, but, but show them. You see, kids learn better with their eyes than they do with their ears. We are vocal. Kids are emotional. They want to see it. When, when I was a student pastor, one of the greatest struggles I had was visiting with teenagers that would come into my office and talk about how they don't feel loved and accepted by their parents. And these were good kids. Good kids with good parents. Parents that I know love their kids. Parents that sacrifice for their kids. But somehow what their parents felt and what their parents wanted to communicate was not making its way to the kid. And so these kids felt unloved and they felt unaccepted. They felt like they were never going to be good enough. You see, loving your kids unconditionally is not about saying, I'm going to love you no matter what you do, so go out and do it. You see, it's not excusing bad behavior. It's not accepting bad behavior, but what it is doing is it is separating the behavior from the kid. Because, see, that's the way God loves us. God is always disappointed when I sin. God is always disappointed with my actions, but it never changes how he feels about me. And our kids need to feel the same way. You're not a bad kid. You did something bad. I am disappointed in what you did, but I'm not disappointed in you because you, I love your actions. I don't like right now. 
You see, that's an unconditional love we need to communicate. We've got to show it. We've got to teach it, no matter what they do or say. You see, so many kids feel like, especially if you get into activities like sports, kids feel like they have to perform to receive their parents' love. If I strike out, if we don't win, if I don't catch the ball, if I don't make the A team, then somehow I'm not living up to what my parents expected me. Now, most parents would say, that's not the way I feel, but that's what your kids hear. If I don't make the A team, if I, if I don't like the things that they like, if I don't make a certain grade, even if I give it my best, then somehow they're afraid that they're going to lose your love. Now, how can you show unconditional love? Well, I always used to teach parents when I would do parent seminars, there's three easy ways to remember how we are called to show unconditional love to our kids. Touch, tongue, and time. Touch, tongue, and time. The first way you can show unconditional love is through actual physical touch. Your kids need you to hug them, to kiss them, to be affectionate to them. Now, it doesn't matter if that's not who you are, but they need to be in an environment where it's okay to show affection. Now, you can't force it. That's something you can't force. But you cultivate it. You develop it. And the time that kids need that affection the most is the time that they probably will push you away the hardest. But you can't give up. Because you need to understand, parents, if they are not getting... That affection, that physical touch from you, the older they get, they'll get it from somebody else. You show your kids that you love them by touching, by hugging, but you also show them with your tongue by telling them. Parents today say, oh, my kids know I love them. Do you tell them? Do you make sure they see it in your face, that it's not just a funny joke, that it's not just something that's said offhand, that you are intently and decidedly looking at them and saying, I love you? See, they need words of affection. They need words that are going to lift them up. Proverbs 51.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. They need words of gentleness. They need words of affection. But they also need words of praise. You can show your kids you love them by praising them and encouraging them. Find things that they do and and just praise them. Give them all the encouragement that you can. People say, well, I don't want to encourage them too much because they'll get a big head or, you know, they won't develop humility. Listen, the world will throw enough darts at them. Their environment at school is surrounded by people whose goal is to do nothing more than tear your kid's self-esteem down so that they feel they build themselves up. So at home, your responsibility is to be an encourager. You know what encourage means? It means to instill courage. When you encourage somebody, you are instilling courage in them. Your kids need to know that you're their biggest cheerleader, that you are excited for them, that they, everything that they do, no matter if it's so small or so insignificant to what the rest of the world sees, they need to hear from you that you are proud of them for doing that. And you are excited that they did it. When your kids were little and they would color and they would draw a picture, you didn't go to them, I hope, and say, look, you you didn't color in the lines here or, or, you know, a a line is not supposed to be purple or whatever it is is they were colored. You took that picture and you loved it. 
You know, like me, you went to the office and you hung that picture up and, and you said, this is beautiful, not because it was perfect and not because they got in the lines and not because they got the right, because it's my child and I love them. And somehow between then and then becoming teenagers, we become so much more nitpicky and so much more less in giving our words of encouragement, giving our words of praise. You need to give words of guidance. Teach them, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, but you need to encourage them by teaching them, leading them, helping them become who they're supposed to be. Instruction, not just yelling, not just screaming. Instruction, make your words count. You can use your touch, you can use your tongue, and then the third thing you can do, show them unconditional love, is give them your time. See, kids equate love with time. Something that you love, you spend time doing. And so when they see you giving them time, they equate that with your love. They equate that with how much they mean to you. A Harvard study that came out several years ago said the number one single most common factor in producing rage, anger, and hostility in children and teenagers is a perceived inaccessibility of one or both parents means that they couldn't, felt like they couldn't talk to their parent, inaccessible. And it didn't say they couldn't, it said they perceived that they couldn't. So their perception is enough. You love your kids unconditionally by spending passionate time with them, giving them your full attention, one-on-one, focusing totally on what they like. Find out something that they want to do and go and have fun doing it. Find out what it is that they like to talk about and talk about it. I promise you it's not going to be something you like to do and it's not going to be something you want to talk about, but it's not about you. It's about your children. It's about your teenagers. Remember the word submission that we learned back in Ephesians 5.21? Putting the needs of others before yourself. For you to be a parent, it requires sacrifice. And that means passionately giving your time to your kids. Share your thoughts and your feelings. Be a listener. Let them share their thoughts and feelings. I have parents that come to me and say, listen, my teenagers don't talk to me. The reason they don't talk to you is because you didn't develop patterns where you listened when they were young. You can't just all of a sudden try to open up the ways of communication when they're 15. You've got to develop those patterns when they're little by letting them know what you tell me matters. And I'm not going to judge you, and I'm not going to diminish what you say. You see, that's what we do as parents sometimes, and that shuts down communication. Parents tell us something. They tell us how we feel. I'm hurt. I'm angry. They made me mad, and and our response is to demean them. And we don't intend to, but we do. That's silly. You shouldn't feel that way. That's ridiculous. Listen, puppy love matters to a puppy. And your kids' hurt matters to your kids. Let them know that you take their feelings seriously. Let them know that they can share it and you're not going to judge and you're not going to demean because it will build an avenue that you can communicate with them all throughout their teen years, even into college. Share your feelings. Plan quality time with them. If you've got more than one kid, you have to develop a plan where you can develop quality time one-on-one, set dates and stick to it. Have date nights with just one of them. Go and make it a special night where you just dedicate yourself to that one child. You can also create memories. Probably the greatest way for your kids to know you love them and remember it throughout their life is creating memories with them. Vacations. 
adventures. Take them fishing. Take them to throw the ball. Play catch. Go do something that they want to do and make it the most exciting thing of your week. Build it up. Even cheesy, uh, silly things become memories to your kids. When you step outside of your personality and do something that they don't expect you to do, that builds and burns a memory in their heart that helps them know that they lo- you love them. Give the gift of unconditional love to your kids through your touch, through your words, through your time. And the second way that we can become godly parents is to teach our kids responsibility. Teach our kids responsibility. And this is probably the greatest thing lacking in our culture today. Because, see, nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. Everybody wants to point fingers. Everybody wants to find blame. Anything that happens, you take what happened in Chattanooga, you take what happened in Charleston. What do we all want? Why did they do it? What drove them to it? Was it their parents? Was it uh, some kind of outside influence? Was it because they, they had a Confederate flag in their house? Was it because they had mental issues? Were they not loved as children? We want to all go into all of those things. Listen, where does the responsibility lie? It lies that that person chose to do something. And we have to teach our kids that, that there are consequences to your actions and you have to take responsibility. Why is that so important? Because it is the foundation of the Christian faith. Because you see, you can't come to Jesus Christ until you take responsibility for your actions. The first step of accepting Christ as your Savior is recognizing that you are responsible for your sin. And in being responsible that you have to give an account for those things that you did. And in giving an account, there are consequences. Teach your kids responsibility. Stop giving them an out by trying to place blame. You see, we think that we're protecting our kids from hurt. We think we're protecting our kids from from some kind of pain when we come in and we lessen the accountability. When we lessen the consequences, all you're doing is kicking the can down the road because a little pain and a little consequences now is much better than great pain and huge consequences later. Teach them there are consequences. We have helicopter parents today. That's a term used for parents that when kids are in trouble, they swoop in and always get them out of trouble. And sociologists are saying the number one reason that kids aren't growing up, the reason kids are moving back home and don't have jobs and they're 28 years old with two degrees and $100,000 in debt and they spend all day in the basement playing video games is because they never matured and understood that they had to be responsible for their own lives. Because mom and dad always swooped in and took care of it. You can't pay the bills. Mom's going to come in and help pay the bill. And, and you spend more than you earn. And dad and mom are going to come in and write a check. And you get in trouble at school. Then mom and dad are going to come talk to the teacher. Teach your kids that they have to be responsible for the things that they do. It's the only way that they will mature. Give them unconditional love. Teach them responsibility. And then the last thing I want you to understand is that we need to love our kids by giving them discipline. Now, you want to make people uncomfortable today. Talk about disciplining children. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an idea behind it. Everybody wants to discuss it. Listen to what Proverbs says. 
Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines the son he delights in. One other way you can show your kids you love them more than anything else, hold them accountable by disciplining them for their actions. Now understand, godly discipline is not about punishment. It's not about anger. It's about showing love. God doesn't discipline us because he's angry at us. He doesn't discipline us because he's trying to punish us. He's disciplining us because he loves us enough to let us know there's consequences for our choices. Now, I'm not going to talk about how you discipline. I don't want to get into, well, should you spank or should you use time out or should you do something other that you have to do. That's up to the individual family. That's up to you and what works for your family. But I do want to give you a couple of hints about how we can discipline our kids. The first thing is you have to do it. You have to find whatever works for your child and stick to it. Now, all children are different. Some kids respond differently than other kids. That's why you can't have one, one role of discipline. And, and your kids will say, it's not fair. They didn't get this. And it, I'm not, listen, I, I tell kids all the time, my kids, the greatest lesson I can teach you is life is not fair. My, they don't even say it's not fair anymore. Because I look at them and go, no, it's not. And I'm not fair because I'm not in the fair business. I'm in the discipline business. See, I had kids, one of my kids... We didn't have to spank. We didn't have to send time out. We didn't have to punish. All we had to do was let them know we were disappointed. If you looked at them and said, I am disappointed in you, it crushed them. That was punishment enough. Now my other child, and I'm not going to tell you which of the two it is, but my other child, you could tell them I'm disappointed. We could get the spoon. We could break the spoon off. We could punish them in time out for hours. They would sit in time out and just look at you. None of that worked. But you know what happened when we discovered that if we took something away for an amount of time, it was the end of the world. So you couldn't just say, I'm going to spank or I'm going to do time out. The important thing isn't what we did, but that we did it. You have to do it. You owe your kids enough by loving them to give them discipline. God tells us that in Hebrews, those he loves, he disciplines. When my kids come home and tell me, you know, so-and-so gets to do whatever they want, and there's, you know, no one ever tells them that they do something bad. And I, my response is always, that's so sad that their parents don't love them. Talk about making your kids mad. Guess what? I love you enough that I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to have rules, and I'm going to expect you to follow them. It's not an option for you to do that. And listen, it's not something you can play catch-up with. Because a lot of times what happens as parents is we set boundaries and rules, and then we get frustrated and we fall back on the default, and we give in a little and we give in a little, and it's so much easier just to let them do whatever they want and just ignore them for a little while. I need peace and quiet, and I'm going to lock the door and go to my room. You can't come back later and say, okay, now I'm going to try to discipline so you have to have a plan, and you need to do it uh, proactively, and you need to do it clearly and delicately. We tend to operate in extremes as parents. We either let them get away with whatever they want, or we bring the hammer down, right? They get away, they get away, they get away, then we bring the hammer down. You know what that is? That's what he says in verse 4, exasperate, to provoke your kids. Why do kids rebel? 
Because we don't discipline and we don't discipline and we don't discipline. Then all of a sudden we bring the hammer down and try to make all of these rules. Make it consistent. But do it. Never discipline in anger. If you lose your temper, if you're going to shout or yell, you need to walk out of the room and you need to go pray and come back. Because you see, the goal is not for your kids to fear you. It's for them to respect you. See, too many Christians walk around in their Christian life fearing God. God doesn't want you to fear Him. He wants you to honor Him and love Him and worship Him. You say, oh, doesn't the Bible say come with reverence and holy fear? That word fear there means honor. And just like we love our Heavenly Father, you see, so many Christians act out out of fear. But along the way, that fear is going to disappear. Guess what? If your kids do what you tell them to do because they're scared of you, there's going to come a day when they're not scared of you anymore. And they're going to stop doing it. Don't discipline in anger. Always discipline in private. You're not there to embarrass your kids. You're there to help teach them. And, and here's probably the most important thing of discipline. You need to always communicate that this is about what they did, not why they did it. See, today we're big on whys. Even parents, we say it, right? Why did you do that? Well, guess what? If you're setting boundaries and rules, it doesn't matter why they did it. Because when we start talking about why, we start rationalizing. And then it starts getting back when the why all of a sudden introduces the idea that maybe somebody else made me. I did it because so-and-so was doing it. I did it because I don't care why you did it because it's not about why. It's about what you did. What you did was wrong. And as you discipline, you always need to reflect disappointment and sorrow in the actions, not the child. And you always need to affirm with love. Didn't you hate it when you were a kid and your parents used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you? Wasn't that one of those things that you said, I'll never say until you start having kids? I remember the first time I had to discipline my child. God, you talk about hard. Here's this child that you've been praying for. And for us, we've been waiting eight years and God gave us. And, and, and I'm going to have to go and bring sorrow to them. Watch them cry because of something I do. Communicate to your kids. I'm not doing this because I like it. I'm not doing this because it's fun for me. I'm doing it because I love you and, and it hurts me to do this. But I'm sacrificing that hurt because I love you. Unconditional love, responsibility, discipline. See, parents, we need to stop looking around and comparing ourselves to other parents. Stop looking around and comparing our kids to other kids. Every home is unique. Every home is one of a kind. And our goal is not for our kids to be like those kids or to be better than those kids. Our goal is to be our kids to be who God's called them to be. And our goal is to be godly parents. They are our responsibility. Parents, the greatest legacy you will leave behind is your children. That's your legacy. That verse I read in Proverbs 22 earlier, train up a child in the way they will go, and in the end they will not depart from it. What that means is you do your job, God will do his. You Show them unconditional love. Let them know that you teach them responsibility. You give them discipline. 
You show them the things of God, and God will take it from there. You see, parents, listen, you're not responsible for how your adult kids and your teenagers respond. Too many parents are eaten up with guilt because their kids made bad choices. But you are responsible for what you put into them to get them to that place. Train up a child, and even if they're a prodigal, even if they run from God, those teachings are still in their hearts. Those teachings are still strengthening them. One of my good friends, when he found out he was going to be a parent for the first time, decided to write down what he thought successful parenting looks like, what it meant to be a successful parent. And here's what he wrote. He said, when everyone said parenting is tough, I want to smile and say, but it's worth it. When my boss says, climb the corporate ladder, I want to sit and cheer at my child's games. When the world says, watch out for number one, I want to look at how I can give myself away. When some storm through life, I want to create a shelter from the storm. When some say, hurry up, I want to say, slow down. When other parents scream, watch your mouth, I plan to weigh my words. When experts say, crack the whip, I want to give more love. When veterans say, plan, because it's going to go really fast, I prayed for a plan that it would go really well. When someone said, let's do it later, I strive to capture the moment. When someone said, do as I say, I tried to live what I said. When some said, send your kids to church, my desire was to point them to Jesus. And when others said, I love you if... I hope to say I love you now and forever. See, that's a successful parent. Proactive. Parents, it's time to get off the defense. It's time to stop trying to be a good parent and seek to be a godly parent. Let's pray.